0: From Sydney, this is Yitzhak building Jerusalem. Our guest today is Dr. Jamie Q. Roberts, a lecturer at UNSW, although not anymore. Um, well, not for
1: much longer.
0: Not for much longer. And uh, the, the deliverer of um, last week's talk, uh, Death of Truth at the University and Other Institutions. Uh, death of Truth and Magnanimity? Death of Truth and Magnanimity. It, it, the University and Other Places and Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that talk was a long time coming.
1: Well, yeah, was that a question or a statement? <laughs> yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're making it hard for me here, Jamie.
1: Okay, to be honest, <clears throat> I you know I, it's not so much it's a long time coming. It's more like a subterranean thing that pops up every now and then. Like I gave a, I gave a sort of a version of it, you know, a slightly weaker version of it when I finished my PhD, because that was like a similar, similar liminal point, as they say in the postmodern world, where I was leaving something so you sort of can say whatever you want. Um, And so I said that in front of a, a bunch of academics. And I thought that, you know, I thought that was, I thought that was pretty ballsy, you know, I was, you know, sort of really nailed them, you know, in mm. my... Uh, going away talk. You're going to ask me what happened then?
0: What happened then?
1: It was extremely instructive. So I made all these interesting arguments about, um, I don't know, the nature of belonging to corrupt hierarchies and, you know, the fact that the nature of the corruption is that we're unable to see truth, All all the usual familiar stuff. So I laid out a whole bunch of good quotes and, you know, tried to, Pushed through my argument quite well. And um, afterwards, uh, the response was your talk was quite Western. (laughs) 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 Boom, bang. (laughs) 10 or 15 years of reading and scholarship demolished with one brilliant observation and I at the time I didn't even really quite realize what they were saying you know what I mean because this is what we're talking here 2009 so this was well before the woke era but you could see that it was it was going strong already by Mm. then and so (laughs) um yeah and so I I realize now that the, the obvious pattern is that when confronted with an argument that um sort of uh, undermines your, uh, your existence in a substantial way. You just deflect. You just go, ah, yeah, well, you know, you're a man. You're from the West. You had some quotes from Western philosophers. Basically, everything you say must be flawed because of that. So uh, it, was a, it was an early exposure to, um, uh, you know, to that, that line of reasoning where you, where, you know, everything can be dismissed on a technicality.
0: Did you did you think anything of it
1: at the time or were you like no oh, I kind of did like it rankled me because <clears throat> uh, and I mean look I mean I had I had troubles way back even uh, as far back as 2002 but just the, the basic thing that you want is for them to engage with your arguments right I mean, it's really simple please engage with my arguments please let's let's work through them slowly let's see where they're strong and where they're weak and well, you know that's mm-hmm. it's engaged on the level of reasoning and evidence but um that's the whole thing, isn't it, that uh, uh, part of... Yeah, I mean, academia did post-truth just long, long before Trump uh, ever thought of it. I mean, we know that. I mean, postmodernism has been cooking since the 70s or 80s, but um, it's well and truly in its mature form now, which yeah. essentially just means whenever you come across something you don't like, you just, you just whack it with relativism or uh, you dismiss it as Western or something like that. So... So it was, it was an interesting experience. I mean, so this, this talk that I gave last week was, you know, it was a version of the same kind of argument, but yeah, you got to keep giving it, don't you?
0: I, this is, I think one of the first times that I've heard it um, put as clearly and as directly as you put it without any bells, without any whistles, just like straight down the line, because it's sort of, I think it's emerged when when I've, I've just spoken to you on the side, it's sort of emerged here and there. We've, we've had these conversations but in terms of a formal like address, it's just like okay, this is the case. This is why. These are these are the quotes. These are the sources. These are the reasons. I don't think I've ever encountered it before.
1: Yeah, I tried to. I tried to just. I mean, what 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 came to me is when, when I really just thought, okay, when I thought of that hierarchy of university practice, hmm. and, and I thought of that, you know, in relation to Plato, and it was those, you know, just those two simple elements. I, I thought, you know, so what 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 does Plato say? Um, you know, what are the main things that we learn about what a philosopher is love of truth, love of all types of knowledge and just a general sense of magnanimity, you know, sort of affable kind of good faith. And uh, so that, you know, you've got that on the one hand and then you've got, you know, closely related to that, you know, what actually goes on at the uni or maybe we should say what should go on or what could go on truth at the highest level below that politics below that career below that, you know, power group belonging ego defense and when you sort of realize that the university is dominated by all those things at the bottom and how they are a complete inversion of what Plato tells us about the philosopher it's like it's about as clear
0: as I could possibly put it Mm. yeah I thought that was a a really really uh, strong point that you made Mm. where you sort of lined it up like that truth then politics then career and this thing is, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing exactly wrong with career. There's nothing even exactly
1: wrong with power um, or even group belonging. But as long as, as, long as it flows down from truth, mm-hmm. then those things will be kept in check. But when you cut off the head, and when you have no truth, then all you have is the bottom feeding upwards. And so you have basically politics informed by uh, power, ego defense, belonging, and careerism. And so, yeah, it's all upside down, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rough thing. It's interesting that we, we, we always end up back at like Plato's definition of things. I think it's, <laughs> um, what is it? It's Russell and Whitehead in the history of philosophy. They said, um, what is it? The history, of, uh, the history of Western philosophy can be characterized as a series of footnotes. Footnotes to Plato. Footnotes to Plato. Have we said that before? But yeah, I come across that. Yeah,
1: every year or two, I come across that. What a beautiful thing. Hmm. You know? Uh, this is one of the I mean, one of the things you really have to do, I think, as a sort of a genuine philosopher is, and it sort of hurt me a bit to do this early on when I was, I think I when I was at least had one foot in the postmodern fraternity, is you just you so desperately want to be deep and complex. Hmm. You know, it's like, oh wow, yeah, I've got all these multi-layered complex theories, and yeah, nah, 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 nah. And then when you look deep into your soul and you kind of go, you know what? the vast majority of that's bullshit and can be reduced to just a few basic familiar mm. arguments, right. a few it, familiar oppositions and you think, yeah, and Plato really mentioned a lot of them. And, <laughs> and so when you're honest, it's actually like, you know, there's there's not as much going on as we would like to uh, fool ourselves into believing. And so it's, yeah, you you when, when you step off that sort of bullshit train, um, I don't know. When you step off the bullshit train, you have to step off the university train as well because it's it's pretty hard to sort of build a career where you're just writing relatively straightforward papers about familiar ideas <laughs> with just a little uh, little modern critique thrown in every now and then.
0: Yeah, it's it sounds rough. I, I think like one of the one of the reasons why I strongly um, shied away from pursuing a career in academia is hearing from. Uh, from you and from a few other professors that uh, I know who were like uh, so it's dumb. good that you
1: said a few other professors yeah it's good because i didn't want it to be all my fault it wasn't all your fault it was, good.
0: it was it was uh, it was an ongoing process um but it was it was interesting to me um this this line you mentioned in the talk um where you said that Plato's uh, plato's focuses like not the corruptions of the generation but uh, something like things of eternal nature and i thought that was that was such an interesting um such an interesting framing. You framed um, the pursuit of truth as the pursuit of, like, the patterns which um, aren't temporally bound, the same things which keep recurring. Yeah. The, well,
1: um, look, I mean, there's a few ifs and buts to say about that. I mean, obviously, when we're dealing with anything in the physical world or, you know, the hard sciences, then you are going to have something of an eternal nature. When you're dealing with humanity, there's going to be elements of human nature which are eternal. Mm. But then, of course, when you're dealing with human society, things do change. I mean, where sure. – um, uh, what was it? Heather Hying said something uh, recently that, you know, where – you know we're not a blank slate humanity, but um, yeah, we're we're the, we're the blankest slate there is at least in the animal world. So the, I guess what I'm trying to say right. is that there, I mean, there are some non-eternal truths, I suppose. Well, let's not say truths. Let's say patterns in society. What
0: what you might call in philosophy contingent truths.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually get pretty actually. I don't know. When we start qualifying the word truth, I I I, I start thinking I got I, I start feeling like I've got to sit down and really think carefully about this because I don't sure. really want to be be, be saying that. But um, but the, the the quest is generally towards the eternal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Which would be you know the physical world and human nature.
0: Well, it's interesting you say this. I mean, to take into like a a, a bit of a, a mystical realm for a second, um, the the great Maimonides, the the great Maimonides, the. Um, a rationalist Judaic lawgiver par excellence, or law thinker at, at least par excellence. He um he has this. this when section. when was he alive? Uh, this is something I should know. About a thousand years ago, give or take a century. I wish I could give you more information.
1: <laughs> you should have just said that confidently. About a thousand years ago. About
0: a thousand years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So he he has this, this section quite early in his like um in his his magnum opus, uh, the Mishnah Torah. Where he talks about um the uh, the preconditions for prophecy he 's like all right look it's a it 's a basis of our of our of our faith of our covenant that um, the prophecy is a real thing that that occasionally God speaks in the divine voice to to humans, and that humans do have a process they do to get ready for that to prepare for that
1: yeah I remember you mentioned that once before. I like that high, whole idea of preparing for prophecy. I mentioned it to my wife and she yelled at me <laughs> <laughs> I was like yet had this really really good idea called um yeah, preparing for prophecy. Like,
0: what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. wasn't my idea. I assure you, it was, it was Maimonides. Um, the guy we call Rumbum. But he, but he, um, but he has this thing, and he, and he, and he talks about, like, the, it's important to, to, be, um, to have a, a trained and disciplined mind and to always be acting with righteousness. But then one of the things he specifies is, like, paying no attention to the vanities of the day. Of course yeah
1: they also anyone anyone who's anyone who's any good says that i mean even in my school right it's funny i look back at the old school which i sort of thought was a bit silly at the time but i realized there was wisdom there they had something was in the, they had something called the school's prayer the school prayer i don't really know what that's about mm. it's not exactly a god thing but they said something about you know don't you know don't pay don't stick too close to the newspaper page
0: mm. yeah
1: nietzsche said something similar you know you know don't write about anything that anyone else is writing about now. go back at least forty fifty years and it's all it's always just otherwise you're just going to be caught up in fashion. you're going to be focusing too much on um on just you know sexy issues of the moment, and it just blows all your judgment hmm. so of course yeah you've got to turn turn away from that
0: that's very interesting what do you mean by blow all your judgment <clears throat> well like we we're all
1: susceptible to it hype you, you know you you get all, you know. What I mean, I I I like hype. You know, I, I get all. I, I get a little bit wound up. I join join some teams, and you know, I get a bit get a bit angry about the opposition. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, it's like you know my little you know my little brush with the Heterodox Academy. Remember remember that? Yeah. When hype sure, came to town. Can I mention that?
0: You can mention. You know, that.
1: when when hype came to town, and I just I just you know blown off the university in a you know in, in the Sydney Morning Herald article, and I was. Feeling pretty heterodox, and I was like, "Yeah, height came to town. Got to meet up with a bunch of heterodox people, and yeah, and then you you, you go to the meeting." And I realized it was just sort of a, it's just you know, it's just grievance grievances against you know the pomos, and grievances against all the you know corrupt academics, and it's just like ah. yeah, you know, these are sort of my people, but at the same time, if I'm if I get too caught up in them, then I'll just fall into a sort of tribal us and them thing again, mm. and you know I, I won't be ready to receive prophecy, will I? You know I'll just be in another stupid club, you know, and, and the second you join the club, um, you start having to you know consume the dogmas of the club, don't you? And you have to, uh, and you have to you know start. Hating the certain enemies and then you and you start censoring yourself. It's like ah, oh, I can't say this, can't say that, and you don't even really notice because it's so much fun being in the club. Yeah. So that's the thing when you when you get f- when you focus on the, the current issues, you inevitably get wound up, don't you? And you eventually inevitably start ussing and theming and all of that, and you need to you know step back. I mean that's that's the magnanimity point. I mean they're all this is the thing. They're versions of the same point. Hmm. If your if your disposition is to be magnanimous, then you're sort of you look at someone and you're sort of like, well, you know, I don't know, if I really agree with that, but I'm not angry and worked up about it. I'm not going to, not going to get all crazy about it. It's like, you know,
0: okay, whatever, you know,
1: Right. I can't so, change it anyway. You know, I'm just, be at peace with it. And
0: that's, you know, that's fine. That's an interesting one because magnanimity in some sense is the extent to which you're kind to people that aren't part of your in-group.
1: Well, it has to be because it's really easy to be kind to your, you know, your buddies, you know, your your homies, mm. isn't it?
0: Well, it's interesting because I think like a lot of there's a sort of universal understanding that being nice is like a, is a virtue, like to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I don't none know, of this nice, stuff's deep. It's just nice executing strong. that's hard. Sure. But but like, you know, we can talk about executing. And one of the things is... Um, oh. I'm trying to remember whose whose point it is. I think it's one from the Father Brown books by Chesterton, maybe. You're just I, making up names. No, it's a real book. Father <laughs> Brown. It's, it's a series of um, detective novels that
1: Chesterton. By that Englishman in 1920 who was who who, who was the son of um, Alfred P. Lovett, you know, the guy who went to India. You know. And uh, married married Shirley
0: ostrason. ostrason. you know <laughs> You know, no, she was, you know, the Eastern European. They say Osterton is one of the the four the four great um the four, the four great debutantes of her day. Yeah, she was a stunner. Oh, Ostrusen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um So anyway, so what Ostrusen wrote. So <laughs> what what did write is um, something like you don't you, you don't forgive your um, forgiveness is something you give your enemies, right? Like you don't you don't you don't get any credits for forgiving your. Forgiving people that you like, forgiving people that you, um, that you cherish. Yeah. And like, I think like there's this big, um, like what's, what's at the heart of tribalism is there's this sort of circling of the wagons. There's of course. a, there's a, the more we like, there's an amping up of, we like the in-group and we hate the out-group. Of course. Yeah. Simple self-other. Yeah. Such a simple
1: concept and just works everywhere.
0: Right. So, so that's what's interesting, right? Because magnanimity isn't just like being kind because a lot of people who are like no, no, hyper-tribal. It's not even, it's not even necessarily
1: kind. about being kind because, you know, I mean, fuck being kind. I'm busy. But, um, <laughs> but it's <laughs> all right. <laughs> get that on <in> a t shirt <laughs> No, look, I guess what I'm talking about oh, is being charitable. Mm. You know, okay, being charitable. Okay, great. No, I like, I like being charitable. That's, you know, if I had more time um, when my kids get a bit older. But uh, no, but magnanimity, it, it's, it's in the broad clan of that, but it's still just, you know, being uh, a bit more sort of I- I accepting.
0: Right. But, okay, fine. But that's I, I point, don't know right? if I needed it's, to go into that
1: digression at all.
0: Possibly not, but, but I think we're getting somewhere here, which is that, like, it's not <laughs> about good, a- it's not just about good action in some sense, it's, it's good action towards people with whom you disagree yeah, that's the key to it, right? because yeah. that's that's a spe- special kind of goodness, and that's the kind that stops you from getting hyper tribal in a way that's yeah, like yeah. good action
1: or or something just slightly below that. Just not getting worked up about it and just letting it be, right? Yeah, possibly. I mean, you don't necessarily have to do anything if you know what I mean. It's more like you don't, yeah. You're not yelling and screaming. You're just, uh, yeah. You know, you're not yelling and screaming. You're not. Yelling and screaming, yeah, you know, that, that's the thing. So mm. it's you, you, you hold back. You just think, yeah, yeah, you with you withhold judgment or something. So it's not it's not necessarily moving into the kind realm, but it's just you know letting it go.
0: Right. Well, I mean, it would it would be remiss of me to like get into a discussion of tribalism about you and not bring up Rick and Morty, um, because like you know one of one of our favorite episodes of Rick and Morty that we've talked about ad infinitum is the um the the great episode about the Citadel. The Citadel. Well. And Season three, episode seven. Yeah, it's it's it's
1: one of the nodal points in the whole creativity of humanity. I, 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 from a from a certain point of view, all of all of humanity was pushing towards the creation of that of that one episode.
0: I wish I could disagree with you because it's <laughs> such a wanky thing to say, but but it is. What is like, the fault? Like
1: so much of everything is is condensed into that to that one one brilliant episode and and as you, as you brilliantly said when I joined the heterodox academy that you know I was joining the citadel of Ricks. <laughs> so of course you know the Ricks are the superior beings the greatest beings the smartest people in the universe and then a bunch of them huh? Hyper-independent. Hyper-independent, and then a bunch of them want to get together and form a tribe <laughs> because in, it, why, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to form a tribe with your own kind so you can be stronger? And then, I mean, the, the genius of the Citadel is that the, the second, the most brilliant people in the universe form a tribe. It all goes to shit and becomes some kind of miserable, bureaucratic, stratified, corrupt society like everything else, mm. which, of course, the one true Rick, the Rickest Rick, recognises that.
0: Oh, so he's he's not just the Rickest Rick; he's the Rick of Ricks in some sense. He's Rick even even with regards to the Citadel of Ricks. Yeah, even in the Citadel. Well, because he, he
1: doesn't Rick. join, he's the one Rick who doesn't join the Citadel. Right. And so, uh, so that's that's the, just the most glorious lesson, isn't it? He just stays out of the
0: tribe, doesn't he? Yeah, you get you get that you get that vibe. Actually, really interestingly, there's this um, there's this dialogue that goes on partway through the episode. I'm sure by now everyone is seeing Rick and Morty. If not, I don't know. Go listen to a different podcast. But, yeah, but, but
1: but don't don't think that you can just watch the Citadel episode either. Oh, You've got not. to go into it. I mean, I wouldn't say you have to watch every episode, but you'd want to start. You'd want to start from at least season one, episode four or five. Hmm. and take it from there. I mean you can, you can blow off a few of the earlier ones, but um,
0: and you, it might even be a good idea too because honestly like 1 to 4 they're like all right. They they great if you're already familiar with the genre and the people, but I don't think Which is, that which great is as the establishments? Which is the, the um
1: you know the aliens uh, the, the, the all uh, of them? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's summer with the wind. <laughs> no the um, aliens the uh, M Night Shyamalan yeah, yeah, the uh,
1: yeah the, the ones where they're trying to steal the concentrated dark matter. I think it's one four or something. yeah because that that's the first good episode but one two and three you can let go off right you can let go of the pilot you can let go of the lawnmower dog and you can definitely get rid of Anatomy park easily the worst <laughs>
0: pirate of the pancreas not a great ride <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, anyway what well, let's get this that's the point the point was just that like there's this bit of dialogue in that episode where um where like one of the, the these these Ricks who are like stuck in this in this society just just wings out and um and like shoots his boss and like breaks into the chamber where they keep simple rick and you know he's in the standoff with the with the rick police mm. and you know one of them says like uh, i'm a working stiff rick like you but my assembly line is justice mm. which is such a heartbreaking line it's so brilliant um and then he, he they have this dialogue where he he says that i'm more rick than any of you yeah like that 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 ferocious independence that like is his birthright has somehow reasserted itself. And, and he is, true to that. He, he's right.
1: Mm. He's right. But there's a certain, the very fact that he then joined the Citadel and allowed himself to spend so long on that assembly line is, is itself kind of proof that he's not, you know, he's not on a top tier of rictum. Like he's mm. had a, he's had a moment of Rickness, Yes, but he's, yeah, because he joined the tribe.
0: Let me let me read you this this quote from Rousseau that you um, I think you called it the best quote ever or something. Tonight. Yeah, and then and then I went to
1: my next quote and I was like, oh no wait, this one's this one's just as good. This
0: one's better. <laughs> this is this is the Rousseau line you had in your talk uh, last week. Individuals only allow themselves to be oppressed so far as they are hurried on by blind ambition, and looking rather below than above them, come to love authority more than independence, and submit to slavery that they may in turn enslave others. It is no easy matter to reduce to obedience a man who has no ambition to command.
1: Nice good stuff, huh?
0: Why is it the best quote ever? I think it I think it enshrines
1: um, yeah, just how important the value of freedom of freedom really is. Um, <sighs> I'm kind of at a loss for words on this one.
0: Yeah, probably shouldn't have started with why is it the best ever. Like what, what is something that you like about it? <laughs> why, why do you put it in your, in your slides?
1: Um, I guess that it's, it's so interesting that, that people's, you know, people's pursuit of power goes hand in hand with having to enslave yourself to a greater power. So mm. you seek power because you think that, that through power you get freedom. You know, when I get the power, then finally I'll be free. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the story we tell ourselves. Sure. When the thing is, is that you never will, because to get the power, you have to. Um, it's it's really only ever given to you within a system, isn't it? How about that for a proposition? Yeah. I mean, unless I mean, we're talking just, I've got just really, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, let's try it. I mean, isn't that a proposition? What The power is only really given to you
0: within a system, grand so you have, to powers. Enslave, you have to enslave yourself to the system. So apparently this is something that's, like, universal. Um, there's a uh, there's a circuitry for, like, dominance, and there's a circuitry for prestige. Mm. Like, you see it in tribal human societies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I grant all of that. You know, like, the, the chieftains, you know, they have dominance over the tribe, but, like, they're still, like, excellent hunters who are, who are viewed with awe Mm. by the people and their power is something different.
1: But yeah, look, okay. So this is what I then often come back down around to is that there are, I suppose, two different types of power. Mm. Uh, And I guess this is, so my thoughts are now flowing. Um, Yeah, and I guess this is something that Nietzsche is is on about when you look at him sort of closely, you know, the question of good power versus bad power, pure power versus corrupt power. Mm -hmm. And so I think the power where it really, you know, postmoderns hate this too, but when it does just sort of come from you and your own will, um, your own creative will, where you you don't really care about failure and you don't even really care if you're followed or not or anything like that, but you then happen to be something Mm -hmm. like that yeah you know competence, perhaps, as Peterson might say <laughs>
0: you
1: know, mm. you know there, there's there's sort of something in that, but yeah, I guess the Rousseau one just really highlights the way i don't know this the whole sort of power mechanism within us is just so easily harnessed by systems and just set up in this you know sort of tragic reward structure, which we see of course in the military military, but we see just as readily in academia. Well, you know, you you get in there, you're a casual for a while and you, you know, if you finally get your lecturer position and you start thinking, oh, then, you know, finally, then they'll read my papers. Finally, then they'll listen to me, you know, I'll be able to flex my flex my muscles a little bit, you know, and they don't really. This is one of the really interesting things I noticed when I was you know, younger at university is that just, you know, none of the academics wanted to talk to me. You know, you'd send them emails and try to chat with them about stuff, and it was just like, nah, yeah, we are not talking to you. Even ones that seem nice, you know, and you and you realise that how you know, even though they don't quite say it, say, like, you know what? How dare you? What we're gonna we're gonna share ideas as equals, um, and they even say this a little bit sometimes. It's like, I've been doing this for twenty years, you know. I got the such and such scholarship. I've been doing blah blah blah, you know, and you and you just you're like, oh wow, now I see. Now I see you've you've, you've entered the structure, you've submitted to it so that after 20 years of suffering, you can finally twist the knife on a little person like me. And um, there you go, I'm flowing now. Mm. I I had to think, I had to get into it. But that's what what the Rousseau thing captures, which is just, frankly, so different to my teaching philosophy. I'm like, yeah, what student wants to talk about ideas, come out of the office, let's go. Hey, we can be best friends. We can talk about it for years, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Whatever.
1: But um, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking again about this sort of this sort of power thing. I mean, I don't know, I, I ponder, do I have any power at all? I feel like I, I mean, I really feel like I don't. I feel like I don't have much
0: influence and that and I'm fine with that. Mm. You know, I, I feel like watching you from the outside, you seem to be someone who's like, who, who's burned away with immense scorn, like Oh, no. As much as possible of, like, the excess of, like, um, <laughs> the trappings of power, of false power, of, like, the of, of fake domination of other people. Well, that's but, like, that's what
1: Rousseau's... Yeah, that's what Rousseau's... Right, saying. but what you, what you get so. in exchange
0: for that is, like, I, I think you you run marathons quite regularly. You've written, what, two novels now? Your EP's coming out in a couple of months. About to publish my second book on academic skills! Heyo. Success
1: in the square world. There you go. Yeah, but see, this is what's interesting, is that is that that's just... It's just a full life. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, this is the thing. There, there is there's there's no power. There's freedom. There's there's doing your own thing. There's mostly failing. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the, all this this whole infrastructure. It, I mean, I don't. Know. I I'm not quite tying it all together. But the whole infrastructure that Rousseau talks about, it's a protection against failure. I mean, let's be clear. It's not just about power. I mean, th- these things are all sides of the same multi they're all faces of the same multi-sided coin or whatever you know protection against failure so you go into the system and as long as you hang around long enough and say the right words and do the right call and response then up you climb mm-hmm. and
0: you and that know. climb is a substitute for something um that's uh, it's like a substitute <laughs> for is living a full life
1: I don't know. It, it's, it's it's an addiction. It's something we're desperate for. It's, it's, it's hardwired into us. Hmm. And I'm sure in, in, in other societies there's it's a ceremonial function where, you know, you get older and you gain more prestige and, uh, you know, it works in a religious context. I think it's probably very natural to humans. Of course it's natural to humans that we go through this. But the thing is is that possibly – you know, possibly there's something special about society now. Maybe there's something special about civilization where we have things like truth. And there, these, this is a different kind of good than maybe, you know, our ancestors 10 or 15,000 years ago were familiar with. Yeah, when you're in a in a sort of more ancient society, um, and then all the sort of the, the hierarchies and the kind of the, the bullshit that goes with it they all just roll in together and that's fine. But now that we've really, really, really codified this whole idea of the truth and we've put value into it and we've rolled it into an idea of progress and all of that kind of thing, um, and I don't know, and, and we've rolled it in with ideas of egalitarianism, you know, the idea that you're not actually better, you know, you're not actually better than anyone else. So there's these all these sort of concepts which we might call enlightenment values, which, um which just don't work very well in hierarchies. And they're beautiful things, aren't they? I mean, sort of egalitarianism, not in the sense that, you know, equality of outcome, but certainly equality of opportunity.
0: When you say they don't work well in, in, a, in, in a lot of in hierarchies, hierarchies, they, they don't you mean work. Do like the, the values start to break down or the hierarchies start to break down?
1: Um, well, it depends which one wins. I guess so. <laughs> but generally the hierarchy wins, which means truth is lost. And and the belief in you know a sort of a sort of fundamental belief in equality, as I say, not a quality of outcome, but a quality that you know, let's all right, let's hear your voice, kind of thing. Mm. Um, it's yeah, it's they're they're lost, and so I can't remember quite the angle of coming into all of this, but but this is the. You know, but I feel very strongly. The, the, about it. But I feel it. very strongly about it. But the, these these are the good values that uh, you know the, the, that I that I that I believe in, and that um. You think we've worked hard to get here? We've worked hard to get here. They're they're absolutely worth holding on to. And, you know, Rousseau's discussion of the, you know, the basic mechanics of power and hierarchies, it's just, it's just, you know, it's within that system that these other things are corrupted. Something like that. Yeah, it's this—it's this cold I've got. I can feel it. This—this this happens to me that um, you know, when you get a bit of a cold, there's like there's like a little monkey in my head who's yeah, everything's running, a bit running around and like throwing shit around a little bit, which means it's a little bit tricky to um join the join the thoughts together. Yeah, but you know,
0: I think you're doing a good job. I think you're doing fine. <laughs> hey, let me ask you about this. Yeah, I mean, ask you- me some
1: more questions. Let's 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 you uh, know rub that one out and get going with something new. <laughs> uh, I've. I've Look, all the good stuff's been said. It just hasn't been said in quite the systematic way that I would advocate in my um, two academic books, uh, academic skills books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Essentials of Essay Writing and uh, the Forthcoming Reading at University.
0: Wow. Mm. Um, I, I can vouch. Val- val- Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, we're actually a Coca-Cola podcast. How dare you? <laughs> um, let me ask you this. This, uh, this is sort of adjacent, but like, you know we we can get off this in a bit if you want, but I want to talk you about this because you you mentioned this thing once that I really liked, which was postmodernism as a career.
1: Yeah, well, that's, well, I mean that's that goes right back to what we said at the start. Yeah, sorry, yeah. You keep asking. Did you have more questions?
0: No, ju- I mean just that. Riff on that, bro. Well, what is po- postmodernism as a career? <laughs> um, it's it's just it's so simple that like
1: sort of so forty or fifty years ago, a bunch of people are sort of saying, well, you know. We've got to be a little bit careful with truth. And, you know, of course they're right. It's really easy for truth itself to become tribal mm-hmm. and for, for, for people to say, well, well we need to, uh, well, we're going to have to colonize this whole continent and enslave these people because they really don't get truth. Mm. You know, it's very easy for truth itself to become part of the problem. And science makes mistakes. I mean, science is a process. And so so you have this you know, sort of postmodernism thing coming along saying, you know, maybe you've got to broaden your perspectives. Maybe you've got to be a bit more careful, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But then, what happens is after a while, you know, once the once the sort of the real heady sort of interesting people have done their work, and the, the sort of the lesser people come along, the parrots, you know, who start realizing that you know that people have ascribed value to these, you know, sort of interesting arguments, and then they start writing the secondary text about it, um, and they and they all start receiving rewards, don't they? Uh, you start you, you start publishing articles and journals start. More and more journals start springing up, and then you start saying, "Hey, institution, I published these articles," and the institution says, "Well, well done. You're a senior lecturer now." And and before you know it, like um, this yeah, this thing which started in a reasonable place has has itself become corrupted by the hierarchy because it's just a, it's like it's like a trading card game. You know, there's always a new trading card game or something. It's mm. it's just. Well, all you need is a sort of – this is why so much of the uni works, is you have just these sort of new intellectual games that then sort of form and grow and uh, people realise how they can play it. And um, and then it just becomes a career. And then it becomes more and more removed from the truth which it was initially grounded in and then becomes inhabited by more and more lesser people. Yeah, that's a bad thing to say, isn't it? Lesser people. There we go. Lesser people three times.
0: Got that. <laughs> um, no, no, but I, I'm being honest. Yeah, of course, it's true. That you always have the, the great the, scholars, and then the then the people who the, follow the, after them who try to be like them, and, and, ever, it, and, they, ever and they and then and they
1: they just they just realize it's they don't even not even necessarily conscious of it, but it's just a gravy train, and mm-hmm. so. And the great thing, I mean, post-modernism, postmodernism is, this is the real point, why it really is a career, why it's the best career is because it's fundamentally based now in obfuscation. It's yeah. fundamentally based in, you know, vast amounts of gibble-gabble theory and denying people, not even on the basis of their arguments, but on technicalities. Like when I tried to give my talk and they go, ah you know, you used quite a few Western quotes. I mean, thus speaks postmodernism. They don't have to engage with my arguments. They don't have to engage with my reasoning or evidence. They just cry Western and then, you know, great, you're an associate professor now, you know, you're, you're climbing up. So it's, it, it, it's the best way to, it's the most useful way to have a corrupt hierarchy because it, it denies the very, you know, the basis of truth upon which the university was meant to be you know founded so it's just it's like it's the most glorious cancer it's just running riot through the university and the intellectual world
0: yeah this, that's this is something that occurred that's why it's a career that's why it's a career that's why right this is something that occurred to me during your talk cuz when you say it's like it's the best thing to to exist of all the of all the possible intellectual games you could play and then just like uh, arbitrarily climb the one that like postmodernism is, is like sort of evolved to be the best of them. Yeah. It's, that's why it's dominant. Like if we want to be, if we want to be Darwinian, And maybe
1: we can be, you know, I mean, people talk about, you know, what Dawkins talked about, he introduced the idea, sort of the idea of the meme or whatever. The selfish meme, the memes evolving to fight other memes. Yeah. Yeah. And and postmodernism is just so brilliant at it because it's just so easy to win. Right. It's so easy to win. Like in the sciences, if if you're a proper scientist, you have to slave away in the lab for just years on end and... And and it's just such a schlep to even even get close to like a tiny little truth. And in postmodernism, you just you, you know you just stand up and just shove everything off the table onto the ground, and everyone cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then and but wow. you just do it. But every two or three years, it's like no, then they were all wrong, and then they were all wrong, and just it's just this constant denouncing through some kind of new trumped up relativistic arguments. That don't even yeah don't really need to be based in reasoning and evidence. So.
0: Right. Well, well, that's yeah. the thing about them not being needing to be to be based in reasoning and evidence. Um, it occurs to me because like it's all in bad faith, but it's justified. It's all in bad faith, but it's ju- but it's internally Brett justified. Brett Weinstein says that. Ah oh, yeah. You know, like the whole thing is in bad faith. Yeah. He
1: says that's the fundamental problem. And, you know, this was interesting because I mentioned my wife yelled at me before I got a hug when we were listening to the Brett Weinstein podcast with Joe Rogan, because um, I introduced the concept of bad faith in my PhD thesis. Mm. So it's, it's really cool that, you know, when, you know, he, Brett Weinstein's a brave guy, you know, he stood up, he stood up to the mob and the bullshit. And, you know, it's like, oh, cool. We're both coming up with the same technical term. It's not very tricky, but right. I, I like that. I got a hug from my wife.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: She was like, "Oh, yeah, you came
0: up with that term as well in your thesis." I'm like, "Yeah, that's so I did, yeah."
1: But anyway, it's bad faith. It's in bad
0: faith, <laughs> right? It's in bad faith, um, and, but it's justified by by its own um, essential claim, which which is that everything is based on power struggle. Right? There is no objective truth. Everything's just different groups yeah, fighting. That,
1: that's Peterson's interpretation of postmodernism, and I, I suppose uh, whenever you press a postmodernist. They'll, you know, like,
0: you know, when you dissolve into slime <laughs> and flow <laughs> No, no, away. no, no. They actually,
1: no, they backtrack and they say no. You know, there are truths. You know, they, they will, they will. Um, this is the funny thing that they, they, won't claim relativism. I've done this on a number of occasions. Oh yeah. You know. what,
0: what do they think of as truth? Ah, uh, that's it's very hard to
1: speak. I, I don't. I would. I don't know what they would actually say count as truth. Would they accept when you, say
0: geometry? <laughs> oh
1: yeah, you, yeah. You, you could. <sighs> yeah they'd agree with all of that, but the thing is the, the the thing that what Peterson talks about of it is it's all just a power struggle between groups that's the um that's the reality of it, even if they don't quite say that right but that that is the reality of it it's like it's our tribe versus your tribe, and all's fair in love and war
0: and of course you would say something like that because and here's a reason for it, and like mm. that's that's the art of the um that's the art of the of the of the discipline in some sense like more so than I mean even even if it's not explicitly stated, right even if like none of them will stand up and say, well, I mean there, there was this line um, in his poem creed a few years ago we, um, uh, there are no objective truths except for the there are no absolute truths except for the absolute truth that there are no absolute truths. Mm. Right? And some people have that as an explicit tr- creed and you know you can poke at that, but even the people who have it as a sort of um, implicit creed, um, are the ones who go well? You know, whenever you come and tell me anything, it can't possibly be because like we're engaged in some discussion and we're trying to figure out what's what's right and we're trying to go somewhere with this. We're mm. trying to find something. <laughs> it must be because you have an interpretation of the world that's different from mine, and you want yours to win. Yeah, and like that fight is what we're engaged in. And the best thing that I can do is not to engage directly with your interpretation, but to like step to the side find a good reason why I shouldn't trust someone like you and then you get dismissed based
1: on group membership, right? Which is why the world is nuts now about, um, you know, white men and, um, I don't know, you know, all the privilege, the whole, the whole game is dismissing people based on group membership, Hmm. even though, I mean, this is, I was going to talk about this in my talk, but I didn't have enough time, even though the variability between groups is, is far more significant than the difference in means between groups. You know, so it's the variability that's that's interesting, which and there's so much of it, which means you really can't dismiss people based on group membership. If if groups were entirely mutually exclusive and you didn't have um, you know, vast overlap, you know, in 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 whatever characteristics between groups, you know. Right. You, you then could, it'd be could dismiss yeah. them. If it was mutually exclusive, you go, okay, you know, all men Make more money than all women, you know. Totally right. mutual exclusive groups, easy, slam dunk. Sure. When you have, um, when you have, you know, fifty one percent of you know men, you know, make more money than fifty percent of women, something like that. And it's a, very, it's a small, you know, it's a small difference. Then it's, it's pretty tricky. But that's, but yeah, that's the post. You know, that, that comes back to the postmodern heritage of just, um, yeah, you, you can just dismiss people on technicalities. You're part of that group, whatever you're gone we don't need to deal with your arguments so once again it brings us back around to why it's just the most glorious career you could ever imagine right it can be practiced by people who really aren't particularly inclined to argue carefully or clearly or anything like that they right. just need to say the special terms and the special words and be in the special group and um you climb up and get a glorious you know salary uh living off the fat of the land and denouncing denouncing all the enemies and um and um, as I, as a lot of people say, um, and then Trump gets elected,
0: right? Because he's he's seen as the 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 person who's fighting that.
1: <laughs> well, and, and not even, I mean, he didn't get in by much, and this is the point. He only. I mean, it's, I've I've thought this myself a number of times. I've heard so many people say this. Yeah, you, you only need you only need like what five hundred thousand swing voters in the middle, or even a hundred thousand, or whatever, just to go. You know what? fuck this sort of specious political correctness stuff. I'm voting for Trump. And that's enough. He's not mm-hmm. that popular. And so that's, that's the funny thing. I, mean, I, I know I'm digressing here, but...
0: Um, but but you think he won more because people were complaining about something than they liked him?
1: Yeah, 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 because it's so obvious that he was the champion of non-political correctness. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, people sort of recognise he probably wasn't that competent, but you just get so pissed off pissed off with, with the bullshit. And... Um, and this is, this, is, this, is the, this is the real problem with the whole postmodernism thing, is that, I mean, the lefties, they're, they're not to be feared. <laughs> they're, they're pretty mild-mannered people. They're, you know, Peterson gets a bit worked up about, you know, you know, the communists and all of that, and I think what we were dealing with in Russia back in the day was a very different kettle of fish. I mean, the alt-left, you know, intellectuals, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty soft people. They're not scary. We don't, we don't need to fear them. But the point is, is that they radicalize the alt-right mm. and that's the, that's the damage that then gets done. So the whole system gets thrown out of kilter because the people who should be being faithful to the truth, um, are, are, are ignoring it and spinning it all into tribalistic careerism. Mm. And, uh, and then a bunch of people on the right, they, they can see exactly what they're doing and, um, and yeah, and then the world spirals into this kind of madness. So, um, it's pretty rough. Interesting point. So I was clear then. I had I had a good clear patch. Um, I, I bumped into a, a, another friend, a student of, a student of an, an ex-student of mine, and you know we got onto this talk quite quickly. Um, the same, this the same discussion because yeah. we're all having the same talk. Sure. Well, not not we all. There's, you know, I realised I only just saw this recently. The term alt left, and I'm like, it's perfect. Of course, it's the perfect term for this. Alt left. There's alt left and there's alt right, and and what my what my friend said, and it's great because he sort of. You know, he's, he's a young guy. And he said, but, you know, what we need to make sure we do on the left is that we don't get so pissed off with the alt-left that we flip right. Hmm. You know, we just maintain, you know, good progressive politics. You know, Bernie Sanders type stuff. And I actually, I don't, I don't know. Do I mean that? Maybe he gets into the alt-left stuff. I have to see. I think he's pretty he's pretty solid. but Just good old-fashioned. Seems like a decent play. Good old-fashioned left-wing progressive politics where it's like, yep, the corporations are raping the poor people and destroying the planet. Yes, you know, we've got to make sure there's a quality of opportunity wherever possible. Yes, you know, good, you know, living just good, wages. Yeah, decent wages. Yeah, just good good stable socialized values. Socialized healthcare. Yeah, socialized healthcare. Just good, sensible stuff without, you know, without too much bureaucracy, uh, without damaging free enterprise, because, you know, I tell you, once you've once you've worked with a bunch of bureaucrats for ten years, um, my God, you value your freedom and your will and your enterprise. It's a beautiful thing. Um but, yeah, um, but, yes, yeah, so that's what he said. Yeah, we, we, we can't, we don't then flip to the right. But the point is, is that plenty of people don't have the wherewithal to say, you know what, I'm not really, I don't really want to give up my progressive values. I just don't have anything in common with these wacky alt-left people which are dominating the intellectual world at the moment. So I've got to resist flipping right, even though there's a bit of a tendency to. Mm-hmm. And so there's not, but enough people just go, ah, oh, you know what, I am voting for Trump.
0: Mm-hmm. And they
1: just feel this immense sense of liberation so for all these, you know, fuckers who have just, you know, like a cancer colonized the institution, which should be about truth. But it's not about truth anymore. It's about some other game.
0: Then that's a form of protest, like that that whole thing.
1: The Trump voting. and all yeah. That. yeah, yeah. It's, and it's a very, very, very legitimate
0: one. It's interesting when you say, um, when you say we talk about like postmodernism as a career, this is the last thing that I think occurs to me about the subject is um, like the idea that, that when they, they started, they had like this good point that you know, you got to be a bit careful with what you think is true. And yeah. a lot of the time, like, you, you'll go into a room, you'll be like, Oh, that's obviously wrong, but actually, it's a bit more subtle than that. And the, that other person had something to add that you didn't capture and yeah, nuance, yeah, right. So, like, that itself is a bit of a, like a sparkling revelation. Um, but then you sort of like end up duplicating that across, uh, um, like, throughout the ideology. And like you end up with this sort of like that's the only thing you have left. Oh, maybe you're wrong. And that becomes a sort of like synthetic truth, like a, like yeah. a plastic truth. Oh, my God.
1: I've seen it so much. I've just – it's uh, it, when you say that, I, I, I can just feel that just deep in my soul. You're just trying to have a normal conversation with someone and then that, that, that constant postmodern and, – and see, people, the thing is they, they think they're being critical thinkers when they say that. Mm. It's like, no, you're not. You're being a naysayer. Mm, You know, you're undermining for the sake of undermining. That's a difference
0: that a lot of people don't get.
1: Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. (laughs) And arguments, uh, you know, a a collective series of uh, statements to, uh, I don't know, support a definite proposition. No, it's not. That's just naysaying. No, it's
0: not. Well, your five minutes is over. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't five minutes. I'm sorry. I can't argue if you haven't paid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's rough, man. Oh, man. Um, okay, T- tell me about this. You you've just finished your EP. No, no, no. I'm working on my EP. You're, EP, you're working on your EP. What you do is you pledge a
1: release date, which is a little bit unreasonable, and it forces you to punch out another two or three songs, even though everything in your head says you're a failure. You can't do it. You're a failure. You give up now. But you force you commit to something. You give someone some money, uh, and then that uh then that uh, forces
0: me to. And then it compels you to just compels go me to create. And you have your EP launch date all set. Yeah. What, when is it again? You know it offhand? Jeez. Oh, man. We have it written down here somewhere. It's, Definitely well prepared.
1: It's, it's the last Friday in November at the Townie in Newtown. So uh, it's either like a 28th or the 30th or something like 20, that.
0: 29th in November. Oh, there you go. It was the one in between. There you go. And you're headlining. So yeah. How was uh, that? Headlining a on a Friday night. Friday night at midnight. So, of course, I can't be there. <laughs> Saturday, darling. <no laughs> <mean>. Yeah. <laughs> It's Shabbos, the Jewish day of rest. Yeah, but um, but for those for those folks who want to go across, I've heard a couple of of uh, Jamie's songs. I really like them. Um what would the start? Some of the stuff I've heard is going to be on the EP, like any of the tracks yeah, that i
1: It's good that we've moved on from this other stuff because honestly, I, I I've said it all like eight times. So yeah,
0: we we, we, we beat that cool. horse. We yeah, beat yeah, we that beat horse
1: that down. horse. Yeah. Um, you've heard some. I can't remember if I've shown you my new song. So I can't remember. Did I show you? Uh, can't you see? You know, that sort of crazy ding 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 Can't you see she's not for you? I don't think I'm for you. The world they cracks and madness blooms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The something, sunlight something cuts across, across the room. There
0: yeah, you go. And
1: yet it cannot shift the gloom. I can't sing because I got this called. Yeah. I left the path to find my way. You, f- you buy your cage with what they pay. But once you've seen the light of day, there's not a soul hears what you say. There you go. So I got all the Rousseau shit in there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we well, got you got the lyrics down. Um,
1: <laughs> it's a lyrically very strong song. <laughs> but the rest of it's
0: insane. though. And your um, so for people for people who want who want to come along to that, they can just show up at the townie on, on blah, blah, not, blah, blah. Friday, 29th
1: November. Yeah, yeah, it's a free it's a free gig. Yeah. Okay, and tell it's me um, about
0: tell me about the the book the book you just wrote, is out or no. Well, the, 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 the academic skills because <laughs> you just finished that and a novel oh but not academic, academic skills is so exciting
1: <laughs> it's so funny isn't it that i ended up on this kind of side path where really i wanted to really i wanted to be a philosopher and then in the end i tell people how to like argue clearly but then i realize you know maybe i'm deluding myself here and it's just bullshit. And I realized like, it's no small thing, is it? No, because not at all. It's no small thing trying to help, you know, try to explain to people the value of arguing clearly and showing them how to do it and how to assimilate. Yeah, you what know, one of the things about this second book I'm I'm working on reading at university, what's the subtitle that they made me have? How to improve your focus and think critically? I don't know, something like that. It wasn't that bad. I mean, I mean it was a good subtitle. Um, but yeah, you know, one of the things that runs through that as well is just trying to encourage or teach people how to assimilate. Like a whole field of study relatively quickly, because you know, like it's it's really tough when you move into a new area, mm. you know, and there's it's just like a just a wall of bizarre information, but you know, there's like techniques you can use to like, assimilate it really fast and you know read academic articles really efficiently and all of that. So I think there's, I don't know, I'm kind of I feel kind of excited about it, but I guess I have to. But um, but yeah, I mean that, that's kind of that's kind of cool, you know. Um, so, When's So, that, that so that, that's that's kind of it's, we're we're at the very final stages of um of of, of editing, you know. So, no, no
0: release stages yet. Uh, it'll be early next year. Cool. Yeah, 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 it'll be early next year. So you've you've written this academic skills book, yeah. and um, uh, you've also recently finished your second novel, No More Time. Yeah. Um. That I I read uh, I read your first novel well beyond the sun. I yeah. loved it. Uh-huh. I haven't yet, haven't yet given this one a, a read. Was the, was the writing process very different for you this time around? Um, the writing process was <clears throat> structurally, they're, s- they're
1: broadly similar novels and they're both journey novels where you start out in one place and you end up somewhere else. Um, not, not entirely, but that that's kind of like the, you know, the poor man's writing device, you know, but until you really work out how to have a a densely crafted detective you know novel a la Harry Potter or something like that. You go, Harry
0: Potter's a detective novel? Sort of. I guess so.
1: Yeah so um yeah it's like a sort of a yeah what were we saying Harry Potter's a detective novel? Uh, I don't know not exactly but I mean it's it's filled with it's it's constant clues and mysteries clues and mysteries. You the whole know? the
0: whole first book is like who's doing the yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So
1: so we agree that it's broadly detective in in many ways. There's definitely a
0: detective component there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, episode.
1: but, I mean, all I'm saying is that uh, there's, there's um, you know, there's, there's really good writers who can uh, really tie together a, a complex plot and um, uh, I, I'm going to try to pull that off for the third novel, but for the first couple I'm sort of focusing on, you know, character ideas, dialogue. Um, the aesthetics of the language. And so, yeah, you just take some people and you you send them on a journey. So the process has been kind of similar. Like, you know where you want to get them, um, but you're not quite sure how you're going to get them there because it's not like I drew up a really clear um, structure before I wrote, which some writers do.
0: You didn't come up with a whole language? Didn't write Elvin before you started? Nah, no,
1: not in that not sense. That. But I just I just had a vision of the types of characters I wanted and I had a sense of the kind of ideas that I wanted to get across because, it's you know, it's a book about... It's a book about longevity. Um,
0: You've told me the premise before. Yeah,
1: and the thing is, I, I mean, I don't want to give away too much because someone will rip it off and, you know, well, I don't know, whatever. I mean, they're yeah. not going to rip it off.
0: Basic premise. Give us the basic premise. Basic summary.
1: premise is that so much science fiction deals with longevity and, in my opinion, deals with it really badly mm. because what, what it neglects, and I think Sartre said something like this. Not that I've ever read much Sartre. He's impenetrable. But this whole idea of, was it Sartre or was it that other dickhead? What was his name? Um, (laughs) Heidegger. Yeah, no, no, he really is a dickhead. I know they're both dickheads. (laughs) um, (laughs) Great dickheads of philosophy. Great dickheads of philosophy. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, it's about you know being for death, uh, or something like that. Being um, towards death. Being towards death. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know
0: this one. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows what that one. And, and it's
1: like so much of our so much of our life, everything we do. There's this subtext every day: of, you're gonna die, you're gonna die, you're gonna die you're going to die. And you're constantly going, uh, what do I do today? Do I, do I work hard for another few years so that I can have like an awesome five years? Can I, can I like suffer now? So future me has a good time. It's all, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And other people are like, nah, just get high all the time. You're going to die anyway. So just, just get high all the time. You're going to die. You're going to die. You know, it's the subtext. So you take away death and so much science fiction is just like, yeah. And it's, you know, here's Brian Jeffries. He's now 170. And he's just still adventuring. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, The whole way we form relationships with people. I mean, um, you know, how long can a marriage really last? (laughs) You know, what happens if you're stuck together for one or 200 years? Uh, What what would be our whole nature? What would be our whole attitude to work in society and tribalism? If we're going to live for a really long time, are we going to want to fall into these quite destructive grooves, which work well if you wanted to get back to academia? That's mm. um, great if you're going to like pump through 20 or 30 years, get some money together and die. I mean, heck, you know, you're going to die anyway. You may as well <clears throat> just join the tribe and try to, you know, climb the ranks and get some money. But if you're going to live f- for hundreds of years, you don't really want to break your brain in that respect. You don't really want to join some bullshit tribe just so you can climb a sort of a, a you know, a, um, a temporary hierarchy or something you're gonna you're gonna think about the way you live very differently you're gonna think about health very differently you're gonna think about risk very differently yeah mm-hmm. and so I, it's like i want to write a science fiction book where i explore all of these issues of um you know longevity in a far more meaningful way um you know than has been done before and thus uh, thus is born no more time which um I'm doing a final edit now. I don't know. I might give it to a friend or two in a in a week or so, get some feedback, try to get me some agent action. Um, I'll tell you what's interesting. I'll tell you what's interesting. What I learned from the first book, as I might've mentioned to you in another discussion, um, is that for people to want to publish your book, you have to be able to produce a good synopsis. And I struggled to ever write a good synopsis for my first book. It just didn't work. Mm. There was no There was no great sort of, five-line summary
0: yeah it's difficult
1: you know what I mean like it's it, you know from my stupid you know arrogant opinion like it's a cool book like a lot of good stuff happens in it and there's some fun dialogue and some wacky adventures and some interesting characters you know but there's no real there's no you know, I, I, even There's now good
0: five five lines no line, none at all
1: and so when i tried to write the synopses for the agents you know i ended up sort of describing the mechanics of the planets and that's boring and so and, boring. and they go on a journey and what he finds at the end might surprise him oh my god this is horrific <laughs> this is horrific <laughs> it's it's not that bad but i just can't write it and along the way he will make friends and fall in love and it things might go wrong and the carts are pulled by goats <laughs> and the carts are pulled by goats. And then, Oh, and then he meets some really cool people in the forest who are making this giant art thing. And, 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 then there's these other people, you know, it's not, it's not good. No. Whereas with no more time, I could say, you know, it's 300 years after the longevity virus infected all infected, almost all of humanity, all that is left though of these, you know, Long-lived people are just a handful of age scattered throughout the earth. You know, all all the others have succumbed to uh, various things. Uh, You know, our story begins, you know, with a, with, you know, with a lot. It's a, oh my God, I'm not even selling this. I'm pretty gripped, bro. Okay. You know, it's a love story. Two people separated by, you know, half the planet and 200 years finally come back together again. You know, what is the meaning of love in, uh, in eternity?
0: Oh, there's a romance going on as of well. Course it's all a
1: romance novel. the question is, can love be sustained across hundreds of years? Whoa. That's, okay. that's one of the fundamental questions. How do, how and how will we live for hundreds of years? How will we keep going when there's not just a hierarchy to climb, when there aren't more products to buy? What, how do you make your life meaningful that's against amazing. such a vast backdrop Hey, that was good for the synopsis.
0: Yeah, that was that was that was a know. killer. Anyway, synopsis. you got
1: elements of it, but you see what I'm saying. Like, oh, a, are you
0: gonna put are you gonna put the book up on on Kindle again? Hope not.
1: Hope not. Yeah, I hope hope some agent picks it up and then it gets published properly. That'd be that'd be
0: sweet, man. Yeah. So uh, I guess look out look out for Jamie Roberts. No more time in in bookstores near you. Hopefully yeah, in, next in, year in 2023. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> well,
1: what do you do? You got to get an agent, maybe. And then you then the agent has to get a publisher, maybe <laughs> you yeah. know I, I have no idea it 's like it 's a long journey, but I'll tell you another thing I learned I know we 've got to go. Uh, another thing I learned was um how to write kind of f- funny, humble, arrogant um query letters oh god, you know that 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 oh one page letter, but like i 've so got that genre down now as well, which I was really unsure about when I first wrote to agents, and I was sort of I, 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 I honed it over time. And one agent wrote back to me and actually said, I loved your query letter, but not the book. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that's some good. That's feedback. Something. That's something, at least my query letter led, him reading led, led to her reading the book. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, from, from failing miserably the first time, what I've learned is, you know, if, if your book doesn't lend itself to a synopsis, you're going to struggle to get a publisher and, um, and how to write a good query letter.
0: Groovy. No, 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 man. That's well, yeah, stuff. I think you're all equipped, man. Good luck with that. Um, there are other super secret things going on now, which uh, Shh. Um, we might, we might <clears throat> touch upon at a later time. But for now, um, Dr. Jamie Kiram, it's a pleasure as ever to have you on the show. Oh, always a pleasure.